Hello, everyone, and welcome back to my first season. Greg and I met during Greg's first season in Turquoise in the summer of 1994, but my first season was in Cancun in summer of 1988 as Stage Gestion. That season was cut short due to Hurricane Gilbert, uh, but that first season changed my life. I knew then and there that I wanted to work for Club Med for more than just one season. I ended up staying in Club Med for 18 years, during which time I met and married my wife of 29 years now, Juka. And uh, we only left Club Med in 2006 because we felt we needed to provide a more stable lifestyle and better education for our son. I was lucky enough to travel extensively and actually worked at more villages outside the American zone than in the American zone. Fun fact, I am the longest serving American in my position in the history of Club Med. And my name is Steve, and this is my first season. Steve, how are you, sir? Greg, it's been a long time. Oh my God, yes. I'm so happy that I, I remember you and I remember talking to you for my first season and I'm so glad that you agreed to come on and share your story because I always liked you. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess so. I mean, I know we talked a bunch of times because I was uh, down to the scuba a lot and, uh, yeah, and you had I, a little bit of work together. Yeah, I had, I had so many bosses there. I had the chief of scuba, the chief <laughs> of sports. I had you because, you know, ingestion, well, um, scuba gestion was a new, a new uh, job that came about in 94 when Clement started charging for scuba diving. And since you right. were a gestion, I had to, had to give you my money. <laughs> right. It's just on the administrative part, but that was great. That was cool. Yeah. So uh, you ready to light this fire, Steve? Let's do it. Because I probably know virtually nothing about your, your, your background. So if you want to take me back in time to where you were living, what you were doing, and how'd you find out about Club Ed? All right. Uh, I grew up in uh, the Washington, D.C. area. So the state of Maryland, but right outside DC. And um, I had seen Club Med commercials on TV or, on, or heard them on the radio from time to time. I studied uh, international finance at Georgetown University. Really? And yeah, yeah. And then uh, my college roommate and I decided to go backpacking for a year in Europe. So uh, we flew over to Europe and we did that for a year. But on the way, like in train stations or in trains, or um, at youth hostels or whatever, we would bump into geos or ex-geos that would tell us about Club Med. And these were mostly European geos, but some, some others were, uh, were American and such. And they would tell us, yeah, every six months we go from country to country and place to place. And you know, with this backpacking trip, I really fell in love with traveling. And so I got the bug and when, when the money ran out after about a year, I went, flew back home, I called up uh, Club Med, got myself an interview and Got lucky and got a great job, a great career. <laughs> now, can, I, can I back you up to Georgetown University? Yes. I, I assume you were there in the 80s. Now, who was the big basketball player, the big man on campus then? Did you see any of those basketball games? <laughs> well, my first, my freshman year, we won the entire NCAA championship. So <laughs> uh, the person you're referring to is Patrick Ewing. Yes, that's yes, yes. Patrick Ewing. So you were, you were around the time that, that Ewing was there? Yes, he was a junior. I was a freshman. Oh, wow. That's incredible. So that my first year, we won the whole thing. The second year, we got to the uh, the the finals, but we lost. But it was an amazing time to be there, obviously, because of the basketball. Yeah, I mean that was huge. I mean, I yeah. think people were watching those games more than NBA games. <laughs> uh, I certainly was. <laughs> now, with all these yeah. uh, people you were meeting while you were traveling, how did you since? 
you know, this was the uh, mid to late 80s, there was no internet. So how did you find out actually how to apply? Because even in 94, when I applied, it was this top secret thing, you know, that an XGO had to tell me about. So how did you know where to go or how to send a letter? So one of the geos who I guess came from the States, and please don't ask me his name because I don't remember. <laughs> but he said, yeah, just, you know, when you go home, call 1-800-CLUB-MED. What? Really? I, yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, that stuck in my head, pretty easy to remember. And that's what I did. Uh, I don't know if you're planning on asking about the interview process, but it's kind of funny. Yeah, I am actually. Uh, was it in New York? No, it was actually in Washington. So really? I called 1-800-CLUB-MED. They asked me to, to mail them a resume by snail mail. Back then, there was only snail mail. And uh, so I did that. And I got a phone call, I don't know, a couple of weeks later saying, hey, we're coming down to Washington to interview at uh, some big hotel. I don't remember which one. And you're invited. And so it's, you know, whatever this day and this time, please show up. And uh, so I went. I was interviewed by Philippe Auger, who was in the New York office for many years. I don't know if you ever heard of him. He may have been gone by the time you started. But he did most of the offices and excursions and nurses and, you know, those kind of positions. And so he, uh, he interviewed me and he said, uh, what would you like to do? I said, well, I love traveling. I want to be, I, you know, they, we have like, a, there's like a list of positions that we could choose from. And I said, I'd like to be an excursions geo. He said, okay, est-ce que vous parlez français? And I had no idea what he just said. And I said, huh? He said, do you, in his, in his very, very strong uh, accent, do you speak French? I said, I do not. He said, well, then you can't be an excursion shield. And can I, can I ask you a, just a quick question? Of, of yeah. all the uh, positions, why did you choose excursion? Because I just felt I wanted to keep traveling. And so oh. I didn't know, yeah, I didn't know how much excursions traveled, whether it was, you know, on the other side of, uh, of the beach or to another country. I didn't really know what it involved. I just wanted to travel and travel and travel. So you did not want to be in an office? I didn't even consider it. I don't think it was even on the list. That, that <laughs> was it. Stage gestion was certainly okay. not on the list. But there's probably bank and there's probably traffic and planning. And I didn't understand, you know, what planning meant and, you know, traffic. Uh, that could be all sorts of different meanings, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I, I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> so I was like, hey, excursions, this, is, this looks great to me. So he talked to me a little bit and he said, uh, he said, I'll tell you what, I like your personality, but you have to learn French to be excursions. I'll see what else is out there for you and I'll give you a call. And I said, well, I'm going to learn French before you make that call. And he said, yeah, right. So <laughs> I left and immediately I went into the newspaper, the Washington Post, and I found a French tutor, maybe, you know, three or four miles away. And I took lessons every day with this French lady who lived in DC. And uh, when we got to a point about two or three weeks later where, where she kind of coached me, now, of course, I wasn't speaking French in two or three weeks, but I did have a, I, I had spoken Spanish before. My mom's from Ecuador. So I learned how to speak Spanish already as a, as a kid. And so mm-hmm. the, the conjugation is, the conjugation is similar. The grammar is similar. So it, it was a little bit easier for me to, to pick up, I think. So we got to a point where, where she wrote down what I'm supposed to say, because I was telling him, I was telling her, I have to call this guy back in New York and I have to say something in French. <laughs> so we wrote it down and she helped me with my accent a little bit. I called him up. I said those couple of phrases. Okay. I probably said something to the effect of, uh, 
Bonjour Philippe, c'est Steve. Je, je parle français maintenant. Je voudrais bien travailler aux excursions au Club Med. Now, of course, my accent was terrible at the time. And at first, he didn't remember. And then I reminded him in English because I couldn't, I couldn't respond to what he said. <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, I remember you. And he says, there's no way you can speak fluent French. I said, no, but I'm trying. He said, I'll tell you what. I'm going to take a real good look at your resume. I'm going to find something for you. And I'll give you a call back within the week. So he did. And uh, so he called me up and he didn't understand. He didn't know how to explain what gestionnaire meant or even what stage gestion meant or anything like that. So he's telling me on the phone that you're going to go to Cancun and you're going to be, you're going to train to be gestionnaire. And I said, what's that? And he said, budget, accounting. I said, okay, I can do that. You know, as long as I'm in Club Med, I can do that. And so I wrote on a little piece of paper what I thought he said. Now, you're going to laugh because you speak French, right? Yes. Okay. J, like Jonathan. E-S-H-E-N-E-R. That's what I understood. <laughs> because I had no clue, right? And this is over the phone, so I didn't know what he was saying. So they send me plane tickets by FedEx. That's the way they always send uh, plane tickets, as you know. Yes. And... Uh, I had a direct flight. I was lucky. Direct flight, Washington, D.C. to Cancun. Got on a bus uh, with GMs. And, uh, you know, we all lined up in the theater for check-in. It was one of the big check-in days, Saturday or Sunday, whatever it was. And the chief of planning was there. I found out later it was the chief of planning, a woman from, uh, from Germany. And um, she, I said, I'm going to be here working. And she said, okay, you'll be a geo. I said, I don't know, but I'll be, they didn't tell me that. I'll be working as gestionnaire. And she said, what? And so I took out my paper and I showed it to her. And she said, I don't know what that, what that is. I said, it's something with budgets and accounting. And she said, ah, gestionnaire. I said, I guess. She said, she looked at me and she said, you don't speak French. I said, no. She said, I don't think so. I think this is wrong. <laughs> so she calls over the gestionnaire of the, of the village of Cancun, another guy named Philippe, Philippe uh, Rouleau his name and he said oh yes uh we were waiting for you to arrive uh we're going to be training you to learn how to be my assistant to be assistant to the gestionnaire and i you know and from there i just you know i understood what that meant you know one month in the bank then one month in traffic one month in planning and then the rest of the season was supposed to be in the gestion office learning with the a gestion with the assistant the you know the 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 role of of digestion. But we had a hurricane that cut that all short. <laughs> yeah, I always like, let me ask you a question because uh, I've always been fascinated by that position. Like, sh as a geo, you know, if, especially if you're a sports geo, we're outside. Like, should we, should we have felt bad for you guys getting cooped up in an office all day or were, or were you good there? Like, like, I mean, I know you wanted to get in and like me, I took the first thing. I, I didn't know what scuba gestion was, but at least I was outside. <laughs> so, like, uh, should we have felt bad or no? So um, a, lot, a lot of, actually a lot of geos have had that same thought. So I've heard about that before. Um, you know, I had conflicting emotions about that because I studied international finance at a, at a very good university. I wanted to have a real career. I didn't, I, I didn't want to, you know, I wanted to make this work and I wanted to have a long-term 
career eventually in something with tourism. And if this is where they wanted to place me, you know, so be it. But it happened to be a strong suit for me because that's what I studied. But on the other hand, I felt that I had a quote unquote normal job. And then at the end of the day, I opened up my door and I walked into Club Med and I can enjoy everything there is about Club Med. You know, so yeah. Yeah, exactly. So there's a there's a balance there. And if you remember, I was very involved with shows, very involved with with crazy signs. And I was not your typical gestionnaire at all. No, um, I, I got into it. I mean, uh, I, I've had I've had chiefs of the village saying I've never seen a gestionnaire, you know, get into the entertainment part of this as much as as you do. <laughs> yes, that's probably why probably why I remember you more more than all the others. That's uh, totally 100% true. The other ones are boring and they stayed in an office. <laughs> so, well, let me ask you <laughs> another. At night, at night they're, they're sitting there, they're, they're standing at the bar, just just talking months, you know, with them and the economic and the chief of maintenance. They don't get in, they don't talk to anybody else. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, let me ask you another question. So how long were you there until the hurricane forced? So did you guys have to evacuate? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so how, long, so there, how long were you there? Roughly. Until I was there that? for about two and a half months. So I did my month at the bank. I did my month at the traffic. Traffic, by the way, is Antonio Fernandez was one of the traffic geos there. You probably know him. I've heard the name. Yes. Possibly. Okay. And then I went to planning. uh, And probably after about five, six days of planning, we had the hurricane. So we had to evacuate. They, They had, my memory serves, they were able to contract 18 buses. And that might not, I, I'm not doing the math in my head. For whatever reason, I remember that number. And they kept on shuttling everybody to the, uh, I think it was called the Fiesta Americana, which was on the mainland part of Cancun. Okay. I, did you do Cancun? Yes. Okay. So you know the, that the, the Club Med's on the island. It's on the very bottom of the, of the island. So anyway, we're shuttled to the mainland, to the Fiesta Americana Hotel, and into a huge ballroom convention center kind of place with no windows, no doors. Uh, which is the safest place, of course. So they were able to to get a bunch of buses. They were able to get the the ballroom of the uh, Fiesta Americana. I'm sure that you know that was quite costly, but you have to save these people's lives. We had you know whatever 700, 800 GMs plus 140 GOs, and we were all evacuated before the brunt of the storm came. Wow! So we spent we rode out the storm for I guess a, a day. A day and a night. I know we slept there. So there's at least one night, maybe possibly two. Um, did, it was a crazy time. The, what what did uh, the resort look like when you got back? Was there a lot of damage? So, <laughs> so um, the once the airport opened up, maybe that's why we had to stay a few more days. Now, now that I remember it, I think we probably had to stay about three days. And once the airport opened up, they first sent out all the GMs. And then once all the GMs were gone, uh, and on their planes, they had a, a few buses for the geos to go back and help supposedly help clean up. Uh, wait, but it wait, was, wait a, a minute, disaster. wait a minute. Cause I'm, I'm getting a little irked here now. What do you mean? Supposedly, did you have to, or not have to help clean up? Well, the, 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 uh, whatever you call it, the rules, the regulations. I mean, they said, we have to clean up the village. That's, yes. our, that's what we have to do. So we can, so we yes. can get our, our next GMs in, you know, uh, on Sunday or Saturday or whatever. Yes. Okay. But we get to the village. It was a mess. It was a disaster. They ended up, they closed for eight months. They had to rebuild several buildings. They had to, I mean, it was a, it was a disaster. There would have been multiple deaths if we would have stayed. In fact, eight, there were eight, 300 deaths due eight, to that, uh, 
um, um, through that hurricane across the yeah. island, not us, not Clement, though. Hmm? Yeah. Uh, and okay, so it did stay, it did remain closed for eight months. That's how much damage was done. It was, yeah, it, there was nothing you could do. I mean, wow. I went to my room and my room was full of sand. Um, okay. I, 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 I lost all, you know, we lost all our stuff because they wanted us, I, I guess I left this little part out, but they wanted us to help pack the GMs and get them on the bus. So we had to get the GMs to go to their rooms. We offered to help, help them pack and get them on the buses as quickly as possible. And some of the GMs, of course, they didn't want to go or whatever. But anyway, so we get back and their village was, was destroyed. You know, it was destroyed. The, there was, um, you know, the boutique was full of water. The restaurant was full of sand. Even though it was on the, on the second floor, the restaurant, the main restaurant, uh, was, there was sand on the roof of the restaurant. The pool was, I have a picture of myself and another geo standing on an island of sand in the middle of the pool. Whoa. Uh, it was, I mean, it was beyond what we could have done as, as unskilled laborers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, let me ask you another question. In the, in the two months you were there before, before you had to leave due to the hurricane, you started meeting uh, GOs and GMs from Quebec. So at what point did you realize you didn't speak French at all when you started hearing their French? Well, even the French French, I didn't, I didn't understand <laughs> because I only studied, like I, I took tutoring lessons for one hour a day for like three weeks. So I, I got to a point where I was able to read off a piece of paper to Philippe Auger on the phone. That's about it. So okay. I didn't speak really anything except for bonjour, bonsoir, uh, you know, just stuff like that. So I, I did meet geos from Quebec. I didn't meet GMs from Quebec. But at that point, I probably didn't know the difference. I didn't learn that difference until, until I learned French and went to Playa Blanca a couple of years later. So that... I, I really couldn't uh, comment on in, uh, about Cancun. And I kind of stuck to the, with the Americans because it was easier for me, but I was, you know, I was also trying to assimilate in the, in the culture of Club Med. And it was a big shock for me. I mean, coming from Washington, DC, a very conservative city, Georgetown university, which is a Jesuit Catholic university, quite conservative and going to Cancun, which is, you know, one of the crazier, it wasn't Martinique, but one of the crazier singles villages was an eye opener. You know, a bunch of Californians, which I wasn't used to. It's a different culture, right, between California and, and Washington, D.C. So I was trying to understand that and, and trying to assimilate into the team and trying to be a good geo. In the, in the eight months it was closed, did they send you to another resort? <laughs> yes. So I got home, uh, you know, once, once they realized that we couldn't do anything. They sent everybody home except for the maintenance team, I guess, and maybe the Okonoma. But I flew home. There was already a message on my parents' answering machine that they wanted me to call them right away. And so I did. And they sent me to Sandpiper. Okay. And, uh, and I, was, I was kind of bummed because my whole thing was, I want to travel. I want to travel internationally. And they said, that's all we have right now. And I was like, all right. And he also said, that'll be the best training for you. I said, fine. So I went to... I drove. I had a I had a car, and I drove uh, whatever it was, 13, 14 hours uh, from Maryland down to Port St. Lucie, and um, that was completely different. Sandpiper is polar opposite to Cancun in 1988. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, was it uh, was a was it a family village, Sandpiper? Oh yeah, Navy Club, Petite, Mini, everything. Yeah. Who is and, your and, chief of village there? Sorry. In uh, ah, so Jose Alial. Oh, okay. Yeah, his name comes Amazing. up uh, quite a quite a bit during uh, this podcast. 
I love him. He was he was fantastic. So so at one at the at the, one of the first geo meetings, he stated uh, you know, we, we had received. And I, I don't think they do this anymore. They only did it for a few seasons, but they they hired a a French teacher for the American geos. And it was a French gentleman who was living in the United States. And so he was a geo. He was older. He's probably 45 or 50. And Jackie was his name. And uh, he held lessons like three times a day for, I don't know, 30 or 45 minutes. And so Jose says, for all the English speaking geos, if you go to lessons every single day for six months, I promise you, you'll get a European village next year or next, you know, the following season. And back in the day, uh, chiefs of the village could do that. They can, they can request and their request would be upheld. Whereas, you know, after a few years, that wasn't the case anymore. Paris really ran things a little more than that or, or the, uh, you know, the, the U.S. office did. But at that time, a chief of village could say, I can promise you, and it can be done. And so we started with like 35 GOs. And by the end of the season, there were just two of us there every single day. <laughs> really? Now, yeah. now, were you, when they set you to Sandpiper, were you still on your stage uh, ingestion? Yes. So I had to finish that. They put me directly into the gestion office. And I, I don't remember her name. Julie, I want to say Julie Epstein. I think that was her name. She was the aid gestion at the time. And so she and I got along great. And so she really taught me in English. <laughs> that was her first language. My first language is a whole lot better. We had a French gestionnaire whose English was okay, but not fantastic. But, um, but Julie really, she taught me everything. And, and I learned, and at the end of the, of that summer season, so remember I got there, well, I guess I didn't tell you exactly the dates, but it was September when the hurricane happened and I got there by the end of September. So I did another, let's say a month and a half in the gesture with Julie. Then she went off to whatever village she went to. And I stayed on for another six months as a gesture. Okay. So, wow. All right. Yeah. Is, so is that that was my first season as a gesture. Did you know, did you ask like how much time it would take for you to become the gestion or was there a standard answer or was it like, yeah, so the stand, yeah. So standard answer is three to four seasons. Okay. As, as a gestion, but it, it depends on a lot of things. The first thing they told me is you'll never be gestion until you learn French. And so my retort to that was I'll never learn French if you don't send me to Europe. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And did that, did that, did that work? Was the promise kept? Well, yeah, so it was. So the two of us, so it made it easier for Jose to keep his promise because he didn't have to deal with 35 people. There were only two of us. So there was what one was, sailing geo. Go a, ahead. Sa- a sailing geo stuck it out. Okay, yeah, I was just going to ask yes. you, what was, what was the position of the second person? Okay. Yeah, it was a sailing geo. I don't remember her name. I she don't know, a, but I know she was she, American, she, I'm guessing. American, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. And she, so she got a village in Tunisia. Mm-hmm. I don't remember which one. And I got RZ in Israel. And I oh, thought those were, nice. But I thought that for me, that was perfect for a lot of reasons. Number one, uh, most Israelis speak English. Yes. Number two, I'm Jewish. Mm-hmm. So to go to Israel, you know, that's, that's, that's special. And, and RZ is literally 99% Israeli GMs. There are very few Europeans that go. Um, yes, it's usually a lot of soldiers on leave. And as uh, Eric Goldberg, who we both know, used to tell me, they had to check their M16s into the vault uh, when they were. Yes, <laughs> yes. So wait, I you had were, to deal with that. You were in our yeah, in, in the 80s. Oh, my God. <laughs> 89. Summer 89. of 89. Wow. Yes, that yes. have been fantastic. So, yes, uh, it was it was really neat. It was a safe year. There were no bombs because there was a bomb. You probably heard about this. There was yes. a bombing in, 
93 or 94, and there was a geo, a butcher, who was killed. Yes. And uh, then there were more bombings uh, close to the Club Med uh, several years later, and they decided just to close it at that time. But I was there in 89. Nothing happened that year. Uh, thank goodness. And so we're Z- very close. We're only in yeah. Arzif. Yeah. And or Arzif- anywhere in Israel. Yeah. And it was the, uh, it's the only uh, Club Med resort that had a bomb shelter, correct? Yes, we had a bomb shelter. Yeah, yeah. that is correct. And yeah. I heard all the Israeli GMs are were calm when they go in. They're playing guitars, and I think Eric said he like he'd be freaking out, but they'd be all like, "Hey, you know, <laughs> have a sandwich." <laughs> uh... Well, um, very few people went. I mean, I don't know if he, if maybe during Eric's season they did drills or something, but not with ours. Yep. Okay. So all I knew is that we had a lot of stock of of uh, like like food, you know, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, in case we did have to go to the bomb shelter. Uh, so I, I had gone in there once or twice during the season just to like tour around with the uh, economic or the aid economic and, and just to see what's there and what we would have to do if we ever had to evacuate to the bomb shelter. So there's a lot of food, a lot of water. Uh, there were a bunch of cots, like military cots that were, that were stored um, and, uh, you know, and things like that. Um, so, but the GMs, not during my year. We, we never had the GMs in there. I don't know if, if they had drills other years. Maybe Eric went later, like after the first bombing, and they decided to do that. I don't know. Did you speak Hebrew when you got before you got there? Did you know Hebrew? Um, well, here's the thing. So, so American, probably Canadians as well, uh, Jews who are not Orthodox, and my family is not Orthodox. You learn how to read Hebrew so you can do so you can read the prayers and so you can do your bar mitzvah. Uh, but you don't learn the language. Okay. Now the more you have more religious families where they'll, they'll actually put you in a language school or a private school that does half the day in English, half in Hebrew. But my family was very laid back as far as that. So I knew how to read Hebrew. I just didn't, I couldn't have a conversation. And it was funny because sometimes with the, with the Israeli GOs or GMs or whatever, you know, I would, I would mention that because they would ask me uh, and with my last name, which is very typical Jewish, they would ask me if I speak Hebrew. I said, no, I can read, but I can't speak. And they're like, what do you mean? And so I, you know, pick up a, I don't know, a sugar packet or whatever. There was a print of the menu or whatever that was part in Hebrew. And I would read it with my terrible American accent. And they'd say, okay, so you, you know Hebrew. I said, yeah, but I don't know what I just said. <laughs> because it's not the same. It's not Latin letters like what we have, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's the you know, the Hebrew letters. So they, it's funny because they didn't really grasp the concept. And I said, yeah, we learn how to read to do our bar mitzvah, but we don't learn the language. So while I was there, you know, we're there for a full season. I picked up a bunch of expressions and words, but I still can't have a conversation because everyone spoke English too. And I was concentrating on French. So that was the season where I had a Swiss girlfriend and uh, she taught me French. I helped her with English. And uh, that was... That really, really got me to a level where I could, uh, by the end of the season, I was doing quite well in French. Was one of the Hebrew expressions you learn Annie lo medaber ivrit? I don't speak Hebrew. <laughs> I don't speak Hebrew. Annie lo medaber Yeah, that's very good. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, had a, I had a great time in Coral Beach. Love that place. <laughs> oh, yeah, Coral Beach. Okay. Yeah, awesome. that was, that was awesome. my, last, my last season. I, I, I want to ask you about culture shock, but you know, you've traveled extensively before Club Med. I'm just trying, I wonder if I should word it as, did you have any Club Med culture shock? Um, like, like I'll give you an example of mine for one. When I did my first New Year's Eve in St. Lucia, all the European men kissed me on the cheek, you know, or, you know, uh, right. 
or a topless Geo in Turks and Caicos uh, introduced herself to me on my first day. And I didn't know, wow, you know, I don't know. Did you have anything like that? <laughs> Any kind of culture shock at all? I, I would say yeah, Cancun, yes, because it was it was a pretty crazy village. Uh, it was a singles village, mostly Californians, much more liberal than what I was used to on the East Coast of the U.S., which is much more conservative. So there was a, a lot more... Um, and it's just called PDA, public display of affection. Yes, <laughs> thank you. Of, uh, you know that uh, I'll talk about an alcoholic drink called Sex on the Beach. You know what I'm talking about. So anyway, yes, yes. Uh, a lot of stuff going on. Um, and there were, you know, the picnics were the old classic picnics. Yes. And I had gone on a couple. Oh, really? The, there was a section of the beach that was uh, topless. Yes. And I had seen a topless beach in my travels. Um, I think it was in Spain. So I got all my gawking out of the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But I think the biggest culture shock was was assimilating into a geo team and what Club Med is and and the the culture of working and living in Club Med. So I think Cancun was the biggest shock. Other countries, you know, every country has their own culture. So I learned a lot of different things. Nothing, I would say more shocking than just trying to understand club men my first season. Okay. I have another question. I have another question for you. This is the only time I've ever asked this question because you're the first gestionaire, you know, to come on the show. So I'm curious of all the chiefs that you worked for, and I have, I have a particular chief in mind. Did you come across a chief that was nonstop day and night, just thinking about ways to generate money for the village? Now, a lot of chiefs didn't do this. They were happy just to do a meet and greet, but did you ever encounter one that I mean, just was so outlandish in his ideas just to get money pouring, pouring, pouring in every day, every day. Did you ever come across a chief like this? And who was it? So um, most chiefs, especially at the beginning, they couldn't care less about the gestion and the budgets, especially yes. at the beginning. Yes. And once Club Med started to become a little bit more corporate, you know, once the Trigonos handed over to Bourguignon and handed over to uh, Ari Giscard d'Estaing, uh, you know, it became more and more and more corporate. And part of the chief of village training starting in, I would say, mid-90s was not only do you have to learn about the budgets, but you have to take it seriously because my first few chiefs couldn't care less, you know? So the only one that really cared, but he was more about saving money than earning money. I mean, I guess, it, I, I'm sure he had ideas about earning money, but he was much more about saving money was Howard McCarley. Yeah, and, okay. and, 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 and that's probably because, you know, he, he's American, right? He is uh, probably a little more conservative than your average chief of village. He, he spent a lot of time with me. Uh, he spent a lot of time checking out the budget, seeing where we're at, making sure we didn't go over budget on, this, on the expenditure side. And he's the only one that, that, that really cared. And of all my years, even my last years, uh, whereas the other ones, I would show them and, you know, and they would like sign off on it without even looking or some of them toward the end, they would ask a few questions. But, but Howard was the only one that, that really had a, a, a true interest. Okay. He cared, but he didn't. But you, so you never came across someone that just was nonstop thinking about how to generate more. So you never worked with Denny M. Salem then, I'm guessing. I did not. I, okay. I had a, I had an, or we're not supposed to talk about anything negative, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> well, let me just say, okay. let me just say what, what, what Denis, what Denis did. Cause you, you worked in Martinique, right? 
I did not. No, oh, I, went not. To, I did a stage there. I did a, a stage there. They had all the ingestioners of the um, of the well, zone. Well, he, he looked. You know, he's on the beach. He's at the sailing shack. He looks at all these boats in the water. All the planes flying overhead. He actually put the phone number of the village on the roof of the sailing shack, so the pilots could say, "You want to? You want to have a? You know, have a fun? Come stay." And you know, he was going after church groups. He was always filling the village, even on days when there when there wasn't. So I was just curious if you you came across anyone like that. To, <laughs> I did not. I did okay. not. I tried to come up with some ideas, but I had to always run it through my controller, you know, the gesture controller of the country. And so some of them were accepted and some of them were not. So, well, <laughs> um, but I've never, I don't think I've ever had the chief. I mean, we had uh, certainly at Sandpiper, the two times I was there. So one was with Howard. So he already had his things going. The other was, was with uh, Jose Eliel, but they already had things going to generate more revenue than probably any other village that I've ever seen a uh, local revenue I'm talking about. I'd say Sandpiper is, is 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 the most developed as far as as far as that. And did the infamous blacklist uh, was that sprung from the gestion office? <laughs> oh, that was way before remember, me. I mean, yeah, remember the blacklist? Oh yeah, I, I oh of course, that. Okay. of course, of course. And <laughs> I had to deal with it. Yeah, I had to deal with it, and I had to explain to GOs why they're on the blacklist. And yes. I had to show them their account and and let them know what you know how long they had to wait and earn earn money so they can get off yes. the blacklist and. Yeah, um, yeah, and I had to learn how to be very diplomatic because I didn't want them to hate me. <laughs> yes. Well, I I don't know if it was you or another just share what would you would tell me about this thing happening and like okay, thank you, you did a great season, you know, you owe a six hundred dollars, you know, like this this the, like this happens right more so back in the day where you know the geos were spending it on cigarettes and and bar beads or whatnot. So, <laughs> well, that's if they weren't cut off. So yeah. that was probably a gestion office that did not control the blacklist. Yeah, so, exactly. I was always taught to control it and I learned very quickly how to be as diplomatic as possible and just show them. I mean, it's in black and white, you know, yeah. here's, here's how much you spent. Here's how much you're earning so far. Okay. Yeah. You can't leave your negative. So you have to earn this, you know, you have to stay in the blacklist until the end of uh, this month or next month or whatever, until, until you earn enough money to, to be there. And, and I would put it in such a way that they would understand, you know, whether, you know, why they were on the back. They didn't like it, but they understood why they were. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, just borrow money from people. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Do you recall the, like you said at the beginning of this interview, you like, you wanted to do shows. You like shows. Do you recall the first show you did? The first show I did was in Sandpiper. Uh, Cancun, I, I got there kind of the middle of the, of the season. So they already had all their, their shows there. And it was my first season. I was just trying to figure out what to, what to do as a geo. So in, in, um, in Sandpiper, we did Greece. We put on Greece, and so I was um, as a G as a Geo show, not a GM show yet, because I know, you know that they've been using Greece for years and years as a GM show. But this was a Geo show, and I did that. You were a T bird. That was my first one. I was a T bird, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then we did cats, and I was a cat. Oh God! At the beginning, you're just you're just one of many people on stage until mm-hmm. until you either. Um, develop a talent or they see a talent and then they'll put you into more prominent roles. Yeah, I wish I'd like done. I was the narrator for Rocky Horror Picture Show, right? Oh, God, another one. Yeah. <laughs> that was that's awesome. Right. That, was my, that was one of my favorites as the narrator yes. with no, with so no you were, neck. You were witness to my, uh, yeah, my, my first time on stage replacing Big Ed and, <laughs> as Rocky. Didn't know what was going on. Never seen Rocky yes, Horror. Yes, with a Speedo or something, right? Yes, barely there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I tried not to look. Thank you. Yeah, okay. but I was being... I was being pelted by toilet paper. So. Yes. Oh, yeah. The the New Yorkers, <laughs> I think, had a special disdain for the uh, the narrator. <laughs> they hate the Oh, yeah. And I loved it. I had the, I, we had like um, 
there was like a net over it. To, yes. To, yes. Over the opening there. And I was like in a booth. You were and getting then um, somebody pelted. gave me, I, I think it was Fred, Freddie, who gave me a hockey stick. Well, um, yes. And, uh, and so yeah. he had me use a hockey stick to defend myself. Yeah, I'm glad you brought, <laughs> I'm glad you brought up Freddie because he had the best, best system. He would have two in his hand. He would lob one very high to the New Yorker and as the eyes were on it, then he'd zip the other one at, at his at his head, hit him right in the forehead. <laughs> yeah, but he, he had a hockey stick and he gave it to me so I could defend yeah. myself during the show. So, All right. So, that was great. All right, let's get into the next important question. So from 88, I meet you in 94, because I had met Juca there. What season did you meet Juca? So after our Eve, I followed my chief of village and my gestionaire to Vengen in Switzerland. Really? So you got That's two in a row. I, I got a lot in a row, my friend. Uh, okay. <laughs> I got very lucky. I got very I, lucky. So Vengen, I mean, just to, and we'll get to Juca in just a second. Yeah, so okay. Vengen was great because nobody spoke English. And so I went five months Cracked. I was the only American. I was the only uh, native English speaking Jew. I went basically five months only speaking French. And by the time I finished Vengen, my French was, you know, for an American as as fluent as it's going to get. My gestionaire didn't speak English, so it was perfect. And then I had a choice of going back to the American zone as a gestionaire because they felt that I, I had learned. I had learned everything that, were, that they felt that was enough. Or... I was proposed Bali as a gestionaire. And at that time, I was still 20. I just turned 25. I was like, I want to go to Bali. I don't care about staying as, as a gestion for another year. I want to go to Indonesia, right? So I went to Bali, did another six months there. I was starting to do the end of month closings, you know, the you know, closing up the month for the while the gestionaire was looking at me. So that way I have that real good practice. And I learned, you know, basically everything else I needed to know, I guess. And then I was sent to Itaparica. And in ah. Northeast Brazil, that's where I met Juca. So I have a very funny story, by the way. I, yeah. I have two funny stories. I'd love so to hear one that. is, one is um, my chief of village who was in uh, Arziv, who brought me to Vengen, really, really liked me. I mean, one, the, the chiefs liked me mostly because I was the only gestionaire that would, uh, that would participate in animation. And uh, so anyway, and, and I tried to do my work as, as well as I could. But anyway, so after, after Vengen, he took a summer off. I went to Bali with another chief. And, and then he asked me to go to Itaparica. And uh, I didn't know it. I didn't know that he was the one who was asking me. But I had asked for Brazil because that was one of my dream places to go. And so I got there and he's sitting there, you know, when I get off the bus, he's there. I was like, oh, choo -choo. And, you know, I was very happy to see him. So funny story. I, um, he's taking me around the village the first day, walking around, introducing me to, to people. Uh, I got a little bit of culture shock in Brazil because I spoke no Portuguese. And, you know, 70% of the GO team are Brazilian. And uh, most of them don't speak English. And so we get into the arts and crafts. And uh, he introduces me to this uh, beautiful young woman, uh, GO, named Juca. And I said, hello. I looked at I didn't know how to speak Portuguese. And then I looked up on the wall. And I said, I know that Perio. And so he, so Tutuna was kind of translating because by that time he had, he had already done Rio de Spedra, so he, he spoke decent Portuguese. So, so he was tra translating to Juca and she's translating back. And she said, uh, oh, I painted it, uh, you know, two months ago. And I said, yeah, but I know the, the girl who, who um, made that, uh, whatever you call it, the, the template, the format or whatever, is Genevieve, a Swiss girl who I worked with in Israel. 
And she said, oh, yeah, she was my boss last season in Rio das Pedras. So she gave me that template. I said, oh, she was my girlfriend two years ago in RZ. And I'm saying this to my future wife. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, you st- so, and, you still, and, you, and you still got her. God, man. <laughs> so, well, I mean, Genevieve, was, that was, she was already out of the club med. I don't know what she, where she was at the time. We had no internet at the time. I couldn't keep up with people, maybe by fax. But I wasn't faxing her anymore. Um, I guess I had another girl. Oh, but I'm, I'm wondering. Much. But I'm wondering if mentioning that <laughs> mentioning that she was a girlfriend, if Juka was uh, was attracted to this or not. Like I'm wondering. Uh, so was it was it? I'm, I don't know if it was love at first sight, but uh, how did it how did it progress? So the story she says. What she says is a couple of nights later, she saw me on the on the stage doing crazy signs, and and she found out from her friend that that I was American and that I was going to have a high position or whatever, et cetera, a good person to know, <laughs> that kind of thing. And so after Crazy Science, we're, you know, we're all hanging out at the bar and she approached me and she said something to me. I had no idea what she said. And I kind of looked at her and she repeated it. And so I said, hablas espanol, because with the Brazilians, if, if you know, at the beginning, a lot of them speak like a portino, the mix between Spanish and Portuguese. And she said, yes. So we just started, started speaking a little bit in Spanish. And she's, and I said, I'm really sorry. I don't understand Portuguese. And she said, I was speaking English. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Strike said, two. Well, I studied English. Strike two. Said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not keeping count, but yeah, that's strike two. <laughs> said, I studied English in school. I said, well, your teacher must not have been very good. <laughs> she said, I'll, I'll make you a deal. Now she was, she was a little forthright at that time. Now this is the, the this is the time of Lambada. Remember Lambada, the Brazilian dance? Yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> she said, "If you teach me English, I will teach you Lambada." And I looked her up and down. I said, "Yeah, let's start." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do we need music or anything? Okay, okay. <laughs> what a deal! So our relationship blossomed from there. Let's just call it that. You know. Okay. Uh, all right. <laughs> this and is a and great by the story. way. She speaks excellent English now. My oh, Lombada yes. is still terrible. <laughs> okay, so Teparica was what year? That was 1991. Yeah, 91. So yes, I meet her in 94 with you. And yes, her English, I mean, for what I remember, was, was she was very yeah. fluent, right? Yeah. Oh, today it's, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, this is my, many years later. Yeah. But yeah, so, so from there, you know, so uh, a couple of months after I arrived, the gestionaire was fired. Um, he did something illegal. So he was fired and I took over and they brought in the new age gestion. So that was my first season as gestionaire. And that was, that was May of 1991. Okay. And also there you, you met Joaquin Noah, the former NBA Chicago Bulls basketball player, right? Uh, he was 14 years, that was, 14 years old. That was, another so. t- that was later on. That oh, was later on. Okay. Yeah. He must've been like a baby at that time because I met him in 99. 99. So, okay. Yeah. So I, I did 18 years. So it's a long story. <laughs> so anyway, and uh, while we were in each break of the first season, uh, there was the, the onset of the Gulf War or the Persian Gulf War. And they, at that point, that's when they decided that everybody stays one year instead of six months. Okay. Cause at the time, everybody's moving every six months before them. Oh, and, oh, wait, wait a minute. So it was, okay. It was decided then. I was always curious yeah. when that's, when that started the one year thing. That's okay. when it started because of the Persian Gulf war and about 35 club meds closed down for six months and they lost a lot of money. They said, okay, we're going to, we have to start cutting costs. So geos travel every 12 months instead of every six months. You still get two weeks of vacation between this, two, 
you know, every six months, but uh, you have to go back to your village. Uh, and they did not, they only paid for our uh, plane ticket back home once a year. That's right. So that those two weeks within the village, we were, you know, we fended for ourselves. I think you probably saw that as well in your, in your time. Yeah. So, so I was psyched because I wanted to stay in Ethiopia. Uh, at that time, they weren't allowing couple, unmarried couples to travel together. And, and Juka was the, my first girlfriend that I really felt was something special. I had girlfriends in the other village, except for Cancun. All my other villages before I met her, I had a girlfriend for the season, but this was at a higher level. You know, when you meet that special person, you just, it's different. So we were really, really concerned about being separated. Uh, and when they announced that, it was like such a great celebration for us. So finish up the next season and I let her know, let's work on your English. And most importantly, let's work on your French because at the end of the, the year, let's try to get out of Brazil because it's very tough for the Brazilian geos to leave Brazil. You know, just mm -hmm. like uh, most local geos of, of a lot of different countries. And let's work on uh, my Lambada some more, right? Or did you already master well, the Lambada? <laughs> by that time, actually, we had uh, we got engaged by the end of the season. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. We, yeah. So we got engaged by the end of the season. I wanted to hold on to this one. How did you, am I, am I allowed to ask how you did the proposal or no? It's okay. Mm -hmm. If you don't want to talk about it, no I was problem. not. I was not down on one knee. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> she we're, asked she asked you <laughs> no i asked her but we were lying in bed <laughs> got it understood okay okay <laughs> you just had you just had a date you're relaxing okay um something like that well we were living together by the time by that time we were in the same room so okay um <laughs> nice so anyway at the end of the season so i i, I really helped uh you know between myself and then a few French geos helped her, but I was with her, you know, a lot more. And we just worked on French and just worked on, on her grammar and her accent and, and so that she could become somewhat fluent. And we let our uh, chief of village know that, uh, you know, that we really wanted to go together. And um, so it worked out and they sent us to Playa Blanca and Greg Snyder's first season as chief, by the way. Okay. And yeah. And well, then uh, can I ask you a, a question about that? Is it true sure. that Greg's right next to archery? Is it true that Greg Snyder built that outdoor hockey rink? Because that's what I heard when I yes. was at, at Playa. So was that built during your time there or later? Do you know? It sure was. And oh, guess what the budget was for that? I, I'm, I would love to. Know. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't exist. So, oh. so Greg, Greg arrived and I, I feel confident that I can tell the story because you know, I'm not embellishing anything. He arrived at the village with two paintball gun kits so no. two guns <laughs> with a bunch of pellets okay, okay. <laughs> and he and he bought that in i think in la before he flew down to playa blanca and he brought me the receipt and he wanted me to reimburse him <laughs> and i said i said is this a gm activity he said no but we're gonna phone you know with the geos with my friends i said well if it's a gm activity maybe we could put it down as land sports but i don't know if our insurance is going to cover it because i'm trying to be a good gestionaire and, and I said, I said, if you get the okay from Ricardo Gonzalez, who was our country director, then I will gladly reimburse you and we'll put it under, you know, whatever budget he tells me to put it under. But it's, there is no budget for that. And especially if it's not GM activity. Then a couple of months later, he came up with the idea with the street, the street hockey rink. And I said, well, that, that sounds more normal. Okay. And it's for GMs. So, you know, let's see how much it's going to cost. I do have to bring it up with uh, the, the gesture controller of Mexico just to, because there is no budget for it, but I think it's a great idea because we had a lot of Quebecois, a lot of uh, Canadian GMs yes. there and GOs. And um, 
So, you know, we all agreed it was a great idea. And so we just got a budget. We sent it to Mexico City. They agreed and it was built and it was a great, it's a great activity. It worked out. I mean, I don't know how long it lasted there. I only did one season of Playa. Can I guess the budget before you tell me? I don't remember. Oh, okay. I mean, <laughs> it was built by locals. So you yeah. can imagine, it's just a bunch of cement. That's oh, all yeah. it is. is a, well, it was well, and, uh, I was there in 96, 97. It was still standing strong. So, uh, you know, it was, it was well all done, right. I'd say. So five years later. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there were there were ten or fifteen local laborers working on it for I don't know a few weeks, and then and it was done. So you were asking me about the about the French versus the Quebecois uh, yes. situation for me, where I didn't know the difference because I didn't have enough French or practically anything, but Juca did. So here, this is pretty funny because the the French that she learned in Brazil was from the French GM uh, geos and. And my slightly accented American French, but from France, right? She gets to Playa Blanca and she was in tears the first week. She said, I don't understand anything. And I had a tough time. And it sounded, to me, it sounds like they're speaking French with a Texan accent. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, but I, after time, you understand it. But my French was much more fluent than hers. So it was, it was easier for me to understand. But she, had a, she was just starting to learn French. And she thought she had it. And she thought she was, she was um, conversant. And she gets there. And she was like, it, it all went backwards for her. <laughs> but eventually, she got, she got the, hung of it, the hang of it. And she, uh, and she did all right. Wow. Yeah, no, this is a this is a common thing because I remember when I when I got to Lindemann, my first meal with guests, I was with my Italian girlfriend and I was talking to Aussies and Kiwis and she saw me wincing, struggling to comprehend what they were speaking, and she turned white and I said, What's wrong? She goes, If you don't understand them, how the heck am I gonna understand them? <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, of course. So, uh, yeah, this is normal. Uh yeah. you know. and I thought I spoke English, but no, not when I went to Australia. No, <laughs> I didn't understand anything. <laughs> yeah. So did we like, did uh did you like playa? Do you like playa? Because everyone I mean I love playa. Everyone seems to have a soft a soft spot for playa. Did you uh, did you like it there? I did. It's I, I I'm gonna say for me it was average. Um Juka had two knee surgeries. No, she had one knee surgery while she was there. Her second was uh was where she was a turquoise. Really? Um yeah, so she had an accident. Yeah, she went to a sandpiper for that to get the okay. surgery done in the state. So um Anyway, uh, she went when Ryan Leach went at the same time. They were both having oh, knee surgery together. Yes. Remember when Ryan busted his knee playing volleyball? Yes. Well, I remember Juka so, on on roll. Like I'll I'll get to that story where, but I remember Juka on rollerblades a lot that season in uh, Turkey. That's probably before the second surgery, oh, or okay. maybe it's after. Yeah, well, because I, I well, no, I, second I, season. I, I just second season after was, she recuperated. Yeah. yeah, it was. Well, I had just arrived like around April or May, so I I recall oh, okay. her vi- vividly on rollerblades. Yeah. So okay, so her so and Ryan she, had the same. Uh, Okay. <laughs> same yeah. surgery. Yeah, and the same doc, the same surgeon actually. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and they had rooms next to each other in uh, in in Sandpiper. Anyway, that's a different. That's another funny story later on. Okay. Um. So so we were talking about Playa. So so I mean so she she had to go get knee surgery in Mexico City, and so she was on crutches the majority of the season. I had the room. So so, uh, so Steve was the cheapest service room. Your room like really high up those stairs, side of the mountain. Was that where your room was? All the way up top. In fact, the satellite dish was right in front of our door. So, okay. <laughs> so she had to go hobble up and down those stairs in crutches. And there were, I don't know how many stairs there were. I was just terrible. We had, I mean, but I, I, I enjoyed my time there. My second season is just air. You know, we're both trying to figure out our jobs kind of thing. And uh, one fun week we had was Atlantis. So Atlantis was there that, that, uh, that year, that mm-hmm. season. 
And, uh, but yeah, but I, I wouldn't say that Playa was my favorite. No, it was like somewhere in the middle. Do you, geez, do you, yeah, I was going to ask you this question at the end, but do you, is it possible for, you know, for, for all the years you did for you to have a, a favorite or a magical one? Is that even possible? Itapadika, definitely Itapadika. And it's not only because I met Jupiter, it's, it really, it really changed a lot for me uh, to the, the Brazilian culture, the language, the, the music, the food, I just fell in love with Brazil. And I, in fact, I became a naturalized um, uh, Brazilian citizen in 2003, oh, really? our second time in Brazil. Yes, yeah. So it was just magic. And the, the village is the most beautiful that I've ever seen in the world. Not the, be- not the best beach, that's turquoise, but the village is gorgeous. Uh, I, it was just magical. Was- well, well, let's get back to it. So I always think about fate. Now, when I was you know, coming up the system, uh, everyone wanted to go to Brazil, but they said, you, well, you'll never go. You have to speak Portuguese. So back then, was it easier or it's because that you were the gestion that that was maybe the one position that was immune from that? Or was it just different back then? I'm, I'm trying to think if had you not gone so, to Taparica, what would have happened? So at the time, there were no Brazilian gestionnaires. Okay. Uh, oh. Today, all three, all four Brazil, uh, all four uh, villages have local just, uh, Brazilian gestionnaires, but at the time there had never been one, as far as I know, as far as what they had told me. But the chief of village asked me to come. That was Tutum, who was my chief in Arzeev and uh, and Venga. Okay. So okay. that's how I was able to go there. Nice. Um, also, the fact that I spoke fluent Spanish, so that's very very helpful because it's very similar. Spanish. How many, how many languages do you similar. speak now, Steve? Just those four. Four. French, English, Spanish, Portuguese. Those are the main ones. Okay. <laughs> yes. So, uh, but it was, yeah, it was definitely the, the most magical for me. So, um, well, let's fast forward uh, to, to Turks because I, I just want to tell, share yes. with you because you you won't remember this, but I do. Since I was first season and I was green and wide eyed, and I, you know, you you kind of actually took time to to speak to me when not when not everyone did. I remember I remember vividly we were at the pools when we were setting up the um, the pool for dinner, and we were having the oh. GM show at the pool. Do you remember those nights? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Juka was rollerblading around you. You you had introduced me. She kept coming in and out. I forget what she was doing. And you were you were like basically <laughs> telling me, you know, you could do you could do this job this way. You could do the job this way. Like you actually opened my eyes. It's like to to have fun, you know. Like and if whatever you put oh, into yeah. it, you'll get out of it. Yeah. No, you went on this long conversation, whereas no one actually had told <laughs> me told me anything about that. So that that's the very vivid memory I have of you. And I always remember that this was a 94 and it's still with me. Oh, and, cool. I, and I took that oh, going, okay. took that going forward based on the words you told me. And then All I right. became a yeah. chief, chief of sports and whatnot, but I always had you, Steve, Steve Cohen, in the back of my head. <laughs> wow. Me. That's really nice to hear. It really no, is. It was um, very, very inspirational. I, I guess for me, you know, uh, I started club med at a young age. I was 23 and working in an office and seeing everybody else out there having fun. And I like to have fun. And so I got involved with as much as I could. There was one time uh, actually in Arzeev where my gestionnaire went to the chief of village and said, you know, this guy's spending more time on stage than, than helping me in the gestion office. Um, you know, <laughs> can we make a change because he's not doing me any good. And so <laughs> Tutun called me into his office and he said, I'll tell you what, our animator uh, just got hurt a couple of days ago. He's going to go home. Do you want to be animator or do you want to be a gestion? But if you want to stay as a gestion, take it more seriously. And so I stayed as a gestion. Okay. <laughs> but who knows? I could have gone the animation route. <laughs> That's right. That's right. 
did you ever flirt with wanting to be a chief of village? Uh, Howard asked me once. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I said, I don't think it's my thing uh, okay. because since, since my position was so close, you know, I worked a lot with chief of, chiefs of villages um, and I saw the, the good, bad and the ugly uh, of what they had to deal with. And I, I wasn't sure it would be my thing. And this was confirmed in Itaparica my second time in 1999 when our chief um, Arnie Ayolfi, who went on to be one of the directors in the Italy office, he had to go to um, a seminar in, uh, in Paris for four days five days, whatever it was. And he asked me to be chief of village. And I ah. said, how, how about the chief of sports? How about the chief of animation? <laughs> and, and he says, well, the chief of sports just got here last week. He doesn't speak Portuguese. The chief of animation, don't tell anybody I'm getting ready to fire. <laughs> and he said, who do you want me to put? Our 74-year-old econom or, the <laughs> or whatever? He said, you're the best choice. Because I was already doing um, information meetings in four languages. For the in uh, Itaparica, so I was doing information meetings, so I was comfortable with the microphone. I was, I was, uh, you know, doing a lot of things on shows, um, and I would uh, sing sometimes in shows. So he knew I was very comfortable with the microphone, and he knew I knew how to deal with the uh, with the guests. And by that time, my my Portuguese was very good. It was nine years after I had met, uh, or eight years after I had met Juca, and we speak Portuguese basically, you know, not one hundred percent together. So I can practice. So I did four days or five days as chief of village and I did not like it. <laughs> <laughs> so he came back and I said, never again. <laughs> <laughs> not my thing. <laughs> well, he did have, I mean, yeah, it wasn't your thing, but I, I do, I do see the logic in his choice uh, with what he explained to you. You were, yeah, you were the right choice, even though, yeah, you found yeah. out you, pre, you were pretty sure it wasn't your thing. And then you found out it wasn't. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I like I, I like the stage part of it and, you know, in the evenings and stuff like that. But I didn't like every single GO, GM and, and GE coming up to me with their problems. Yeah. And they wanting me to solve the problem right then and there before our chief came back home four days later. And, uh, and it's it's, you know, some problems were easy, but a lot of problems were were not for me to make that decision because I was only interim for a few days. Um, and it was just a bombardment of, of everybody coming to you. And I was like, this isn't for me. <laughs> I like to have my private time a little bit. Well, yeah. Well, so. speaking, speaking of the chief. So that, that was the time I liked, like for you, like kind of like how you inspired me. Was there any, like, you know, to call out the people? Cause we never, we, we don't often take the time to call out people who made an impact. So was there anyone you work with in your whole career in club that, that you'd like to mention that, you know, that affected you in a positive way? Any good memories with yes. the chief? Or it could, be, it could be a chief yes. of service, anyone. Right. So chiefs of village, I would say Jose Aliel, Tutun. I did three seasons with him. Uh, Jean-Luc Olivero, who was a wonderful, wonderful man, or he is, I assume he's still alive. Wonderful, wonderful man. Jean-Pierre Grand, who we worked yes. with together in Turquoise, but also in, I worked with him in Copper. Uh, you know, great people. Almost all my chiefs were fantastic people. Anik Radovic, she married a um, Croatian. So it was Anik Renove when she was my uh, gestionnaire, but she was my gestionnaire for two seasons. She really taught me a lot. So that's, you know, she's, she works in the Paris office still, I believe. So all of those people. And then, you know, and then there's others, you know, friends, uh, you know, people like uh, Eric Goldberg and Ross Friedman and Angie Boucher, 
who am I thinking? Ryan Leach, you know, people who became good friends that were never my bosses, but we became good friends because we hung out together or we worked together, you know, closely together. So, so, and then a bunch of, uh, of uh, Brazilians that most of those names wouldn't make sense to anybody on this podcast, this yeah. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but a bunch of Brazilians because <laughs> I, I spent eight years in Brazil afterwards. Wow. So my last, actually seven years, one year back in 91. And then the last seven years from 99 to 2006, I was in uh, Itaparica and then Rio de Pedras. Very nice. So you ready for some rapid yeah. fire, R- rapid fire questions? Sure. Favorite crazy sign of all, of all time. If that's possible. Uh, I was always, I always love sunlight of tropic and then the original crazy signs, Obama Masque. Um, oh yeah. Those okay. are, those are favorite ones. I hated the Macarena. <laughs> but you did like the Lambada though, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, but that wasn't a crazy sign. That was a, oh. <laughs> the way I did it, it was okay. <laughs> oh, okay. No, that one, not with me. Do you, nope. know, do you have a favorite dumb question from a GM that you got during your time in Clubman? I'm trying to look for anything All different the than, the, than the, when's it, when's it going to stop raining? Do you have, is there one that stood out or no? Yeah. Oh gosh. I was always called out to the reception because uh, GMs would be angry and they would want to talk to the, the boss. So they would mm-hmm. call me out and, uh, and whatever their problem was, something specific. I don't know. I mean, there are so many stupid, petty questions. I mean, a lot of them were, were valid, but nothing really that stands out that I can think of right now. I could probably think of it after we get off the phone. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll, well, we'll keep going. Favorite animation passage. Do you have any, does one stand uh, out? Like, you know how Bam Bam used to do the Energizer Bunny and Rod. Do you have, is there anyone, any that stand out to you? I used to love, because I worked with Bam Bam at least three or four seasons. So I, uh, he was very, very creative. He was awesome. I used to get into the fruit presage where we would dress up and do crazy things. I remember at Arzeev, I would we would dress up as um, as like I don't know, I wanted to try to figure out the nice way of saying it, as natives. Let's call it that way. All painted up and with a long, a long black wig and uh, painted up like as a Native American and running down with with I guess these spears with our in one hand and then the platter of fruit on the other and we would scare the hell out of the GMs. And asking if they want uh, fruit by grunting at them instead of speaking with them. Um, I had a lot of fun with that until I got in trouble for it. Uh, <laughs> um, but Bam Bam, I think, was the most creative animator, and he, his passages were amazing. Like walking into the, you know, drumming in, as the Energizer Bunny into the ocean above yes. his head, turning around and coming back. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. He, I just saw him do it off the dock, the dock too, like the water ski dock. He, he uh, probably yes. And the GM was thinking he'd yeah. turn around. He didn't turn around. He just <laughs> walked, walked off the pier. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, he was great. He was great. Boy, so much to ask you. Jeez. Uh, okay, so we mentioned that you that you met because I'm I'm curious about celebrities. So you hung out with Joaquin Noah, all right? Who was went on to become an NBA player with the Chicago Bulls? Any other celebrity yeah. encounters that you had? So uh, I'll, I'll tell you how that happened. Actually, his okay. father also was very famous, Yannick Noah. Yeah, tennis he player, was right? a famous French tennis player. Yeah, he won the French Open, the Roland Garros, one time, and he was number one. He was ranked number one in doubles for some time. So he came with his. I don't know if you if you followed him since then, but he became he he has a reggae band. I don't know if he still does, but he had a pretty famous reggae band, and they would travel the world and do shows. So he came to. Uh, Itabarica to with his band and they put on shows at the nightclub maybe three times during that week and he brought his two kids so Joaquin was 
was 14, I think. And then his sister, I forgot her name, who also became a, a high profile basketball player. She was maybe 12. And they grew up in New York with Yannick. And I, for whatever reason, I don't know, I, I suppose they spoke French together, but um, he was looking for English speaking people. And I was the only one. So somebody told me to go up to the bar and uh, search him out. And he just wanted to, you know, he said, well, when you're out of the office, I want to be able to hang out with you so I can talk English. <laughs> so we spent, uh, you know, hours talking about everything and mostly about New York, but it was pretty cool. You know, and then he was a high school basketball player at the time. And he went on to be very, very famous. In Turquoise, we had that 70s week. So a lot of famous yes. people there, the village people. The guy who plays Greg Brady, the guy who played um, Arnold Horshack, yeah, remember all Ron, Ron Palillo, wasn't that? Wasn't that? Uh, see, that Ron was my Palillo, first my, my first season. That was my first season. I thought that was completely normal. I thought every I said, "Wow, every club that <laughs> does this, I never had that ever yes. again in ten years." Like uh, that whole Rhino Records celebration. Whoever organized that, I mean, that was that was amazing. Like, but I thought yes. that was perfectly normal. Like, <laughs> yes. We had a top model at the time named, uh, also at Turquoise, named Ashley Richardson. Do you know that name? Yes. Yes, I know the name. You look her up. She was yeah. on the uh, Sports Illustrated uh, swimsuit issues for a few years in the early 90s. Yeah. So in 94, she gets there with her mom on vacation, and she decides she wants to do arts and crafts, the Juca. And so they're in there doing arts and crafts, Ashley and her mom. And her mom goes into the closet and start taking out paint that Juca had not set out for the GMs, like stock paints or something like that. And Juca saw her and said, excuse me, um, you can't go in there. What are you looking for? And I can get it for you kind of thing, right? The GMs weren't supposed to go into their reserve kind of thing. And then she caught her mother stealing a paintbrush because they were doing the the silk painting, like they needed money, right? She was a, yeah. <laughs> Ashley was a very, very wealthy. And so she caught her and she said something. And she said, I just saw you put those two paintbrushes or paintbrush, whatever, in your bag. I need that. That's, you know, that's that's our equipment here. And so Ashley went up to her and she's like six foot one. Juka is five, six or five, seven. And she said, do you know who I am? And Juka looked up at her and said, no, do you know who I am? I want that paintbrush back. <laughs> so so Ashley, Ashley Richardson went off and complained to the chief of village who you know, <laughs> try to teach Juka how to be a little more diplomatic, but whatever. That's a funny story about her. I thought also you were going to, when, when you said that Ashley Richardson went into arts and crafts, I thought you were going to say, and suddenly all the geo men had a keen interest in arts and crafts. <laughs> I, that's where I thought the story was going. It, it you know, went a no, different direction, no, no. which is just as good. So, okay. <laughs> also in, uh, in Itaparica, we had a famous Formula One driver, Rubens Barrichello. You know oh, the name? Wow. Yeah, you of course. Formula One. Very famous. Yeah. So he was there. He spent a week there. We actually had a conversation because we were watching, we were watching a show. And I guess we're my uh, Juka and our son, Nicholas, who was a baby at the time. And I were in one row at the back of the theater and he was right in front of us or right behind us. And he mentioned the baby. And so we started having a little conversation. So I spoke with him for a few minutes. There was the one and only, or I don't know if they ever did it again, uh, Brazil Tennis Open that was played uh, very close to Itaparica, uh, but a few of the tennis players stayed at Club Med. So Monica Sellers was there. And so I met her. She didn't have much to say. Do you remember her? You know, she yes. Was? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very, very famous. So I spoke with her a little bit, but she's not as uh, as open and friendly as some of the other people. Those are the ones that come to mind. Now, in your intro, you said that you are the longest serving American in your position in the history of Club Med. Now, are you sure there's not a geo ping pong out there that's been working 20 years? 
Like, are we sure of this? No, in my position, I said, yeah. in my yeah. position. Oh, no, I was just making a joke so, that didn't land. Okay. Um, <laughs> so okay. you're, okay, so longest serving American gestion? Gestionnaire. Okay. 18 yes. years. Wow. Yeah. So, well, I, I did 12 years as gestionnaire. So that's mm-hmm. what I was referring to. Okay. So I, I did, I did a season of stage. I did five seasons as uh, a gestion. And then after, uh, what was it, 2002 to 2006, I was regional controller for Brazil for the three, at the time, three club meds in Brazil. Now there are four. Oh, uh, really? For 12 of those, yeah, mm-hmm. okay. uh, based in Rio. But although I we lived in Rio das Pedras, but I was part of the Rio office at the time. But uh, I I go back to Sandpiper from time to time, and um, somebody was there from, I think Howard was there, uh, visiting or was teaching a stage or something like that. And we we're just talking about that. He said, definitely, there's never been a gestionaire, an American gestionaire that has, you know, since you left, that has been even close, even five years. Kevin Klein did for a while. Janarda Harris did for a while. Uh, there are a few others. Uh, Mark Gerwitz did before me. And the few others, I'm sorry for, for forgetting your names, whoever's listening to the podcast. But, you know, since Howard was in uh, recruitment and in, um, in HR in the Miami office for so, for so many years, he, you know, he confirmed that to me after that conversation. What so, was and the reason why is because, you know, once you do a job like that, you know, for, for those who are really looking to earn money, you can go back home to the U.S. and make 50 times that money doing the same work, you know, you know in, a, in a corporation somewhere, you know. Yeah, your, your office so was. American Justice didn't stay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let me ask you something about the, about this position because it's something I've always wondered. Every job, no matter how great, there's always a part that you might not like as much. So, what was the, either the hardest part of your job or, or or less agreeable? Was it was it your quarterly year end? Like, what what part of the job was like took was so taxing or just took forever to do balancing? Like, what what was what was it exactly? So yeah, the 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 fin de saison, the end of the season reports. Um, especially at the beginning when they were done by hand before they were done by computer, yeah. uh, took, it took 10 days to do, you know, yeah. these days it probably takes two days. Yeah. The end of months it took, you know, five days where these days it probably just takes a day or two. So that was a pain. And, uh, I mean, I enjoyed it because we wanted to see what the results were, of course, but during that time, I didn't do I didn't do any shows. I had to basically work 10 hours a day in the office or 12 hours a day in the office. So the, those time periods I had to take off uh, from the shows. So that was a little frustrating. And, you know, I want to go out and have fun like I, like I always like to do. Um, but I was also interested in seeing what the financial results were and all that. Anything that I really didn't like, you know, so, sometimes in smaller villages, you're also in charge of human resources. And that includes the GEs back then they used to call them PS. It wasn't, really, I didn't have much training in it. So it really wasn't my thing. And you'd end up getting more complaints about working conditions more than anything else. And I was very young, like in Vengen. Oh my God, I was 25 years old. And, and my gestionnaire had me in charge of the, of the GEs. And uh, they would have their situations and problems and questions. And it just didn't appeal to me. Okay. That part of it. Wow. Well, we've been uh, we've been talking uh, uh, some time, but you know you've have such an interesting career. I think I think this can go on another four hours, but uh, yeah, I want to start your day. But before I let you go, I mean, I, I know we covered a lot, but I don't want to let you go unless there's a, a story you haven't told me. There's something you wanted to say, like now's now's your time. Like you know, because you've been so kind with your time, I don't want you to leave if we forgot something. But uh, <laughs> did we cover did we get um, most of it? 
Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of little stories that are that are humorous to to people who know these people. Uh, these are people who are well known uh, that I can just quickly say. Yeah, um, sure. My my first time at Sandpiper when I was you know twenty three or whatever uh, after this is after the hurricane in uh, in Cancun. Uh, one thing I learned from the French, especially French gestionnaires, is they drink a lot of uh, espresso. So that kind of, I kind of hooked onto that. And so we would have our mid morning espresso at the bar. And, um, so I went there and, and I, and I was sitting down there and I guess my gestionnaire was speaking with the economic or something like that at the time. And then, uh, this guy, uh, sits up, uh, sits next to me, probably 50 years old, curly gray, grayish hair open like a plaid shorts and uh an unbuttoned open what do you call it? flowered like a hawaiian shirt and a straw hat all right and his belly's sticking out a pretty predominant belly and <laughs> and he sits next to me and he says hello and i say hello and i'm trying to be a good geo and trying to hey how you doing how long you've been here or whatever he said oh i just got in today i said great <laughs> looks like you're comfortable now he said yeah i said how long are you staying he said oh only four days and i already judged from his accent that he wasn't uh, american I said, oh, where are you from? He said, England. And uh, let me know when you know who this is, by the way. <laughs> and um, not, not yet. <laughs> uh, some, some of the older geos will know. And he says, from England. And I said, okay. Um, and you just, you flew in from another city or like you had business elsewhere or you have business around here. He said, no, I just flew in from, um, from Europe uh, this morning, actually, or last night or whatever it was. And I said, and then, and then in four days, you're, you're going to go do business like in Miami or something or what? And he said, no, um, I'm actually going to do business, but I'm going to Dominican Republic. I said, oh, you know, we have a club med in Dominican Republic. I said, he said, yeah, I know. Um, Punta Cana. I said, yeah. And he said, yeah, that's where I'm going. I said, well, wait, you just said you're going there for business. He said, well, yeah, I'm going to work there. And I looked at him and I said, you're a geo <laughs> like that. Very sarcastic. <laughs> he said, he said, yes. I said, what do you do? He said, chief of village. <laughs> so this is Mike Coltman. Ah, if you don't know him, I'm sure you've heard I, of him. Yeah, I've definitely heard of him. Yes. And so he was playing me big time. <laughs> all right. And I had, because my other chiefs were always very well dressed and very proper and very, I don't know. And this, of course he was on vacation. So I, you know, I can't fault him, but he was playing me big time and it was just hilarious. And I bumped into him, I don't know, eight years later. And, and I recounted the story and he remembered, and it was just pretty funny. And the last thing I want to say, cause I know we're probably out of time is a very, very recent run in with an XGO who you probably know and a confusion that my wife had. So my wife and I recently, uh, it was about a year ago, we were in uh, Hilton Head Island, South Carolina on vacation. And we're sitting at a bar, like a beach bar. And uh, there's a whole bunch of uh, beach volleyball games going on. And uh, the guy who's running it, and it was far away. I didn't have my glasses on. I used my glasses for long distance and driving. So I didn't have my glasses on. And she said, she said, that's Scott Smith over there. Do you know who Scott Smith is? Do you remember his yeah, name? Yeah, yes. Big uh, uh, water ski, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, chief of water ski for many years. She says, that's Scott Smith. I said, oh, that's cool. Let's, let's go talk to him. So we went over there and I'm looking at him. I'm like, that's not Scott. I know that's not Scott. And, and she's like running up ahead of me. And she said, Scott. And the guy looked at him and, she sa and he says, I'm not Scott. And I realized who it was. And I didn't want to say anything because I wanted to see how far she went with this. She said, I know you. She, he says, Juka, I know you too. Hey, Steve. 
And she says, you're not Scott. And she says, no, I'm fifth. You know, fifth, fifth Ian? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so he lives, he lives on uh, Hilton Head Island. So we saw him last year. <laughs> I, I, think, I, for Scott's I, I think we're going to anyway. have to send Juca to the optometrist as well here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, after, after 25 years, you know, and, uh, you know, people, people change a little bit, but uh, that's fifth right. has not changed. Fifth that's looks right. exactly the same. He really does. Will so you, will you, he runs. Oh, go sorry. Ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just saying he owns a, uh, like a smoothie shop and he runs beach volleyball tournaments in the Hilton head. Geez, sounds just Fifth like club bed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Will you permit me one last question? Of course. I usually like to ask this question last. Uh, so if there's any potential geo listening to this or is on the fence about applying, should they apply? Should they try it? Oh my God. Absolutely. It's, this was, I would do it all over again in a flash. In fact, we would not have left if our son didn't become school age because he grew up his first seven years of his life in Itabarica and Rio de Pedras in Club Med. And we only left because he had to have a real, you know, a real life and go to school and all, and all that instead of homeschooling. But uh, we would have stayed forever. Uh, if I, if I was back in 1988, I would, I would do it all over again. Absolutely. Yep. It's a great career. It's an amazing opportunity. I know it's changed. It evolved and it changed in the, in the decades, but it's still amazing. Absolutely. Well, there you have it. Thanks so much, uh, Steve. I hope I didn't keep you too long, but you're just so damn interesting and you got so many great stories. <laughs> I, I, hope it's, I hope it's okay <laughs> of me to keep you so long, but uh, I really do thank oh, you. For... Not, a, not a problem at all. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, it's my pleasure. What are the odds? My great catch up with you as well. And well, yes, thank you. You too. What are the odds of, of getting Juke on this show? Next to none. Uh, any, any, any hope there? She's no? a little bit more shy than I am as far as Got it. Like that. I'm not sure. Will you, sure will you she please tell her I you? say I say hello? <laughs> will you please get please, I will. I'll talk please to, give her my best. I'll tell you what. I'll talk to her about it. Uh, once this is published, I will. Um, I'll have her listen. Of course, I would have okay. her listen anyway. And I will. I will let her know that you have invited her. Yes, she has a standing okay. invitation. <laughs> yes, but she remembers you fondly as well. Uh, you know, I mentioned to her that I'm doing this. Um, she's not with me uh, right now, but um, but I, I let her know that we're doing this, and he re she remembers you. So um, she might she might surprise me and say yes. Who knows? Sweet, thank you. Yeah, and I wish you were going to Turquoise for the uh, the big XCO reunion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I said, yeah, I follow the academic calendar now, guys. I had the exciting job. Now I have the boring job. <laughs> but I hope this you guys be our have. This first uh, time going in, in probably 15 yeah. years. We went to one in Sandpiper. I don't know when it was, about 2007, 2008, right after we left Club Med. And we've never gone since to, uh, yeah. to an XGO reunion. So we're really excited. Sweet. Uh, well, yeah, this will air. But so I, I assume you had a good time. This will air after you're back. So we'll have to catch up on that, too. <laughs> yes. Oh, of course. Yes. It's well, not the end of our conversation, right? No, no, no. <laughs> I'm going to be contacting you again. <laughs> well, yeah, Steve, no, that's uh, awesome. Anytime. Thanks, thanks again. And if I ever get up to Montreal, we'll, uh, we'll yeah, hang you, out. We'll you, you better. Yeah, you better call me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Everyone, that was All the best Steve. And uh, we thank you again for your time. We'll, we'll see you all next week. Say bye, Steve. Bye. Thanks. <laughs>